This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Before we get to our lead story, I want to take a moment to remember Mary Tyler Moore, who was a cultural icon for the Zoomer generation, one of the first to portray a truly independent career woman on television. And incidentally, she did that by producing the show through her own company. I'm sure our listeners have many memories associated with her, and I hope you'll share them with us tomorrow on our Free For All Friday program. I'd like very briefly to share mine. Her portrayal was especially crucial to women in our industry, the news business, because we watched her while growing up. But at that point, the men who ran the show were just being told to hire some women and not just as assistants. So there was a lot of opportunity, uh, but also a lot of hurdles to jump through, which were shown on that show. And in my case, years after the show was off the air, I got one of my first jobs in Minneapolis where the show was set. I got an apartment in the neighborhood that her character, Mary Richards, supposedly lived in. And I spent time in some of the places you would see in the show opening. So uh, I can't tell you how present that fictional character uh, was in that place where I worked for several years. Anyway, uh, we can talk more about her influence tomorrow. Right now, we move to our lead, and we should be very proud after the local medical miracle we learned about yesterday. Miracle is the wrong word because it was the result of skill, talent, innovation, and daring. I'm talking, of course, about Melissa Benoit's double lung transplant, a life-saving transplant she received here in Toronto after being kept alive for six days without lungs. Her diseased lungs were removed when she was just hours away from death because of a raging infection. And we're going to get to the issue of organ donations. Uh, So let me give you the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, I am honored to be joined by Dr. Shav Kashavji, Director of the Lung Transplant Program at the University Health Network, and the key person in the very talented team of doctors who made this happen. Dr. Kashavji, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Libby. Uh, well, first of all, have you confirmed that this was, in fact, a world first? Yes, uh, it, it is, and, and um, it has not been done before. And uh, just tell me how it came about. How did you come to decide to do this, and how did you get the authorization to do it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, as, as you know, um, there are many people dying of end-stage lung failure, and Lung transplantation is very effective therapy for it, but uh, we can't get enough donor organs, and that's the other topic you're going to address. And so sometimes we get patients like Melissa that get very sick, and we can't get them to a transplant. We supported her on a ventilator. We supported her then with an artificial lung uh, support or an ECMO machine, and, and still we got to the point where the sepsis in her lung 
uh, was uh, so severe that we could not keep her blood pressure up with the devices running at full tilt and maximal drugs and antibiotics. And so really, uh, we have reached that point uh, several times before with patients. And at that point, we usually would just back off and, and say, you know, there's nothing more we can do and let the patient die. Um, we had, you know, in working out how you look after critically ill patients and dealing with sepsis, I mean, the principle is you have to get rid of the source of infection. And in her particular case, the source of the infection was her two lungs. And so when you ask about how did you get the permission to, to do it and how did you sort it out, I mean, I think this is a very, it was a very difficult question. Of course, it happened on a Sunday afternoon. And, and we've got, you know, several of our leaders together in intensive care, infectious disease, surgery, pulmonary medicine, and, and really said, look, you know, we all know she's not going to make it to tomorrow based on what we're faced. We've seen that before. So the one option is to, to take out the lungs and, and support her. And based on what we know of the device and the fact that we can use the Nova Lung as a lung circulation, uh, can we conceivably support her till we can get lungs? And and thankfully, to the work of Trillium Gift of Life, we that's a hope that we could get a lung in a week or two. And, and uh, you know, the family, uh, Melissa had said, do anything to keep me alive. I want to be there for my family and my daughter. And, and um, you know, even if it's experimental, and she had made that very clear to us and to her family, which, again, made the decision a little bit easier for everybody. And, and um, the family knew going into it that this was the only chance, albeit slim, because we didn't know the answer. Uh, it's interesting. It, it underscores a couple of things here. First of all, the importance of making your wishes clear. People don't always want to deal with these types of questions. Yeah. I guess for Melissa, young as she is, uh, this thing was very present for her. Right. Uh, uh, so that's number one. And number two, I, I guess the issue was that you didn't know how long you would have to keep her alive without lungs. Right. So, so I mean, I think, you know, about making your wishes clear, I think it's so important because, I mean, several doctors on our team were uncomfortable with the decision. It was an unknown. And when someone's so sick, it's easier to say, oh, well, you know, we've never seen someone survive this. So, well, let's just keep her comfortable and let her die comfortably with her family at her side. But knowing that that was the patient's wishes and knowing our uh, courage in our institution to continue to push the boundaries and say, can we make something possible today that wouldn't be, that wasn't possible yesterday, uh, allowed us to say that it's, it's a sensible decision to make. We all recognize it was high risk and we may not succeed. Um, and, I, and I think that that's very important. And the next step now is we're going to, you know, set this up as a study to look at more patients that might be a candidate and, and try and pick ideal candidates and, and fine-tune the way we did it. I think we probably did it a little late uh, because we procrastinated, if you will, and tried everything possible before resorting to this. And we did pay some price of it. She got some kidney damage from all the antibiotics and the blood pressure medications and so on. And maybe if we'd done it earlier, we could have avoided that. You know, so it's a you know process of how we advance medicine. 
And do you have any idea how long you can keep someone alive this way? Well, we do use these devices for bridging people to transplants or with severe, um, you know, influenza pneumonias like H1N1 or something. We've, we've had patients on, on ECMO for, for months, uh, several months. But um, having someone without any lungs in the, in the body is, um, was an unknown to us. And, and one of the issues is not just the fact that can the device take away uh, the function of the lungs completely, that's uh, probably true, but what happens in the interactions between the heart and lungs and how the heart manages the blood that comes into it that it now doesn't have a lung to push it out into can damage the lung, the heart over time, and then you're in a, a real predicament. So uh, it was really the idea of, of hooking up the one circuit to support her circulation and perfuse all her organs in her brain and the other circulation on the right side of the heart circulation to to um, allow the heart to empty and continue working and be ready for when it, when she gets a lung transplant. Uh, so uh, that's one of the uh, innovative things. Uh, how difficult is it to get appropriate lungs? What what is the waiting time usually like, or is that kind of unknowable? Well, you know, we can look at our averages in performance and, and the average wait time in our program right now to get lungs is three to five months. But there is, you know, if someone is so desperately ill, then then we do do that person first. And so, you know, it's not inconceivable to get a lung in, in, in a week or two. And that was an important part of the decision. There's no point doing this if you don't have a viable exit so the first thing we did after we did this is give a call to Trillium and say, can you put out a call that we need a pair of lungs of this blood type anywhere in North America that will go get the lungs? And and so they did that for us to see, you know, if there's any program that uh, has lungs available that, that we have a desperate patient. And where did you get them from? We can't actually say that because it's really important to preserve the, um, you know, confidentiality of the donor family. Uh, and I guess the other question is, uh, are you being inundated by hospitals around the world asking about this procedure and, and how it worked out? And uh, are they looking to do something similar? Yeah, I mean, certainly um, it's not something that you can do in any hospital, but the major lung transplant programs, um, uh, and the surgeons in those programs are very interested because, you know, some of these things you think technically might be possible, but but we've shown that it is. Uh, and so that, that, I think, helps because I think everybody who deals with lung transplantation and uh, has faced a situation where they've tried so hard and in the end lost the patient because they're up against a wall. Is there anything you want to tell people about organ donation? Well, you know, I, I think it, it's so important, like you said, about communicating your wishes. I mean, one is Melissa communicating her wishes of what she wants done in such, uh, you know, an extreme case of, of advanced care, but also on the other side of, of letting your family and friends know that you would want to be an organ donor. And, and I think one of the fantastic things about what you're doing and others in the media is, is increasing awareness. Like when you see Melissa now walking around 
with her little uh, three-year-old daughter, you sort of realize, like, why wouldn't I be an organ donor? You know, like, look at what you can do. Um, can you give us, a, it, it sounded like she's a very determined woman and, and uh, the road to recovery was very difficult. Can you give us an idea what she had to go through to recover? Yeah. I, I read that she couldn't even lift her hand. Yeah, no, and I think she is very de- determined and, and she's a wonderful example of the human spirit. Uh, but, uh, you know, she was very sick and knew it and she is a nurse, so she knew what was happening to her and then when she got the flu and ended up on a ventilator, she knew she was in big trouble. Uh, and then she got so sick that, you know, and was sedated and, and somewhat unconscious that the rest of it, she doesn't remember. She only remembers waking up, being told she had a lung transplant and, you know, didn't believe that. So, you know, th- that was sort of her early recollection. But having said that, she was flat on her back and very sick and in heads of care unit for two to three months. And so once she got good lungs and was able to get off, we had to strengthen her muscles and, and, you know, get her to be able to sit, get her to be able to take a few steps and so on and, and eat again and, and all of that. So it was, a, a, a you know, a challenging battle, but she was very, very determined. She just was planning to get out of hospital, and she did. Okay, Dr. Kashavji, thank you so much for telling us about that, and, and congratulations. Thanks very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, we're going to extend the discussion now. I'm going to give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're talking about this incredible medical procedure that gave this young woman her life back. And uh, it begs the question, how do you feel about donating your organs? Would you do it? Have you thought about it? Uh, There are places like France where they want to move to a negative option so that if you don't want to, you have to indicate it uh, on your driver's license or wherever, as opposed to uh, if you do want to, telling people, I just want to know what you think about this. It's quite sensitive. Sometimes there are religious considerations. It's uh, it's something that we have to talk about. And so we now turn to Ronnie Gavsey, president and CEO at the Trillium Gift of Life Network. Ronnie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, so um, I'm sure that your phones have been ringing off the hook since we learned about this procedure. It's very exciting. Uh, but not unlike UHN's lung program, they are world-renowned and and very progressive. Uh-huh. So uh, just tell me about uh, where we're at in terms of awareness for organ donation, what people make of it. Well, I can tell you that uh, 30% of the Ontario population have registered consent. That's up from uh, 13% in the last five to six years. So we're certainly on the right trajectory, uh, but it also means that there's 70% of eligible Ontarians who have not yet registered. So, so there's, uh, there's certainly room to grow. Uh, and, and the most important message to the public is register and talk to your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever have cases where somebody may have said it's okay, but their family says no, or you know, or the the opposite, uh, the kind of miscommunication? There are cases, although rare, where a family will override a registered decision, uh, 
They are rare, and what we do is we approach families for consent where the individual has registered. We're not asking for consent. We're reaffirming it and explaining how the process will move forward. But in the most cases, families will uh, go with the registered consent. They will... Uh, uphold their loved one's wishes. And uh, do you ever approach a family um, when uh, they're losing a loved one if that person hasn't indicated they want to be uh, a donor? In fact, Libby, in every case we do, we approach every family of a potential donor. Every family. Mm -hmm. And in about, I would say... Close to all of the families where their loved one has registered consent will affirm that consent, but that goes down to about 50% uh, consent rate when their loved one has either not registered or they don't know what their loved one wanted. Okay, uh, let me give the numbers out again. If you have questions about organ donation, I'm also curious to hear your opinion and your feeling. Would you yourself be an organ donor? Uh, Are you thinking about it now that we have heard about this um, really miraculous, incredible procedure? The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. I know this is probably not an easy topic. And Ronnie Gavsey, what are the kinds of uh, objections that people might have? There are quite a number of myths out there about uh, organ donation. Uh, People may think they're too old to be donors so they don't register, when in fact there have been donors over 90 years old. So age is not a factor. Another myth is that uh, previous medical conditions may preclude, uh, preclude one from being a donor. And in fact, every one of us will be tested for medical suitability. So should never consider a, a previous illness as a, a reason for not registering. Now, there, as you mentioned earlier, there are some who think their religions do not support it. But in fact, all major religions do support donation, and many of them consider it an obligation. Okay. That that saving a life uh, comes first. Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. And Julie and Whitby, I think you have a question about age. Uh, Yes, Uh, I'm 78 years old. I am a registered donor, but I'm I'm a non-smoker, pretty healthy uh, and active. Um, I was just wondering, is there an age limit? Or And my family knows that I want to be a donor, but who knows, eh? You know, so you've done yeah. all the right things. You've registered and your family knows, and a, you're 78 years young. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really, uh, it's, uh, you should not consider that age would stop you from giving the gift of life. Mm-hmm. Because there have been people older than yourself who have given the gift of life both through organ donation and tissue donation. By tissue, I'm talking about eyes, for example. Mm-hmm. So it is certainly possible for you to share the gift of life and give someone a second chance. Oh, that's great. And that's all I wanted to know. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Uh, Doreen in Oshawa. Hi, Doreen. Hello. I... Um, arranged to have my husband's organs, anything viable, donated when he died about 10 years ago. 
Oh, that was a very brave decision. Had he talked to you about it while he was alive? We had discussed it some. He took a, a big stroke, and we were assured when I got him to the hospital that he wouldn't last the day. And during that last couple of hours, besides saying goodbye to him, my one son was with me, um, I had to do something. I couldn't let go of him until I did something, and it seemed like it would carry out his wishes, and we donated anything viable. And as a result, we got a letter later to say that four people had regained their sight because of his donation. Wow. That must have uh, eased the burden a little bit? It did, if anything can, yes. So uh, what would you say to people who are thinking about it? Do it. Do it. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a great two words? Do it. Yes, and my family now knows that even if I hadn't um, agreed to donate, that that is my wish, too, when the time comes that they'll do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a reason you haven't registered yourself if that's what you want to do? I really don't think it's necessary because they know what I want. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, Doreen. Thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Uh, And uh, I have a question, and this is for me, Ronnie Gavsey. And that is... uh, I've had uh, been treated for cancer twice, chemo, radiation, genetic mutation. Does that make me uh, not a good donor? You can still be a donor. Uh, there are people who've been treated for cancer and are not currently at the time of death on cancer treatment who are certainly potential donors. And if not for organ, then for tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, tissue, again, including eyes heart valves for children, uh, skin and bone. So, so Libby, yes, you would be a, you could share the gift of life as well. Okay, well, uh, that is very good to know. I wasn't really aware of that. Um, let's take one more call. We've got Anne in Guelph. Hi, Anne. Anne, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, three years ago, my sister had a catastrophic hemorrhagic stroke. Sorry to hear that. And uh, she was rushed to the hospital in Mississauga, and my niece um, wisely inquired about donations, so they connected immediately with Trillium. She was transferred there, and it was an amazing experience. Um, It's very emotional still. Of course, I can understand it. Anyway, um, five lucky people are walking around in this world today because of my sister. Her lungs, kidneys, and liver, and corneas were donated. And those people have written back with gratitude to my um, nieces, niece and nephews. And um, Terry was a wonderful person, and um, she had out, she'd been out... Um, taking her family to brunch that day and had been dancing that evening and then just collapsed in the night. So for this to have happened so suddenly, it was surreal. And this is something that's shocking to people when they're put into that position. So it is important to talk about it ahead of time. Um, Very good advice. Yes, yes. It needs to be a family discussion, and it needs to be documented properly so that everybody's on the same page, so that those wishes are respected if, indeed, the uh, situation came up. 
The uh, other thing, um, I'm a nurse and my husband's a physician, and um, it was quite something when Terry was in there because one of my former students, I was a professor of nursing, happened to be her nurse. And to connect with one of my former students in a situation like that was amazing. But um, the other part of it is that um, this, this pr- process isn't a snap thing. It takes several days in order to maintain the person on life support to establish that they are legally dead before they can go ahead. And then the other thing that was interesting to me going through it personally was this this took place in the middle of the night, finally, when we walked her down to the operating room to let her go. And there was my beautiful sister, and um, we said goodbye to her. And for those of you that hear the sounds of the sirens in the night, um, those sounds indeed might be rushing someone to the hospital, but they may be rushing precious cargo to all of the people who have been on call for goodness knows how long, who have been a match and who are in the ORs awaiting the donation that's coming through the streets in the middle of the night. And thank you so much for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. And Ronnie Gavsey, thank you. Thank you, uh, Libby. Those stories were so touching and, and raised to the importance of talking to one's family. Okay, yes, and we hope uh, that this wonderful story will um, lead to a lot of serious family conversations. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.